9th of March today. It's Phoenix's fifth birthday. And basically, I am doing some prep for a visit I'm making tomorrow to Bourne Hall, which is where we head off to the treatment. And the reason that I'm sounding upset and I've decided to record myself sounding upset. So I'm going to Bourne Hall because I approached them to see if together we could create a piece of content about the decision to donate your embryos to science. Because you'll know if you've been following me on my social media, I've talked about this decision and how it's been a very long decision that my husband and I made deciding to donate our embryos to science rather than having further treatment. And I'm recording this because I'm surprised at how raw the emotion still is as I'm doing the prep work because we're doing a piece of video content tomorrow. If you are emotionally attached to that embryo as a potential child, um, you know, that can affect a person on a very, very deep psychological level and emotional level and so that filters out into your life and because you've not made a decision you have a constant dilemma of making that decision and so get help seek help with that just some support nobody's going to tell you what to do they're just going to help hopefully listen helpfully and uh, give you the information and allow you to explore that welcome to the fertility podcast that was jackie stewart who was my implications counselor during the decision that um, husband and I made to donate our embryos to science. And it's a bit of a different episode today. It's me flying solo. And what you're going to hear is audio from a video that I've made with Bourne Hall. I went there to talk with Jackie. And you're also going to hear from Martin Blaney, who's the director of science, about what it actually means to donate your embryos. And that little bit you heard of me getting upset, and you're going to hear a bit more of that snippet, is a piece that I recorded the day before I went to Bourne Hall. I'm okay, it's just I wanted to capture how I was feeling in the way that I feel the most comfortable, which is recording it, and that's why I'm sharing it with you now. So I hope you find this episode interesting, helpful, if it's where you're at, and if you've got any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch. You can get me on my socials, at Fertility Poddy, I'd really love to know what you think of this episode. It's obviously really personal, um, but like I say, I'm okay. Just wanted to, I just wanted to share it with you. So you're going to hear this little snippet from me, then you'll hear from Jackie, and then you'll hear from Martin. Today is Phoenix's fifth birthday, and I shared a post on my Instagram about it. And as I'm sat here reading through the documentation that my clinic sent to me explaining what happens when you donate to science, donate your embryos to science. I guess it's all come flooding back. The realisation that I'm not going to have another child. It's obviously more poignant because it's Phoenix's birthday today. And the grief is still there. Now in this video I'm doing tomorrow, I'm also going to be speaking to a lovely lady called Jackie, who was my counsellor, my implications counsellor, about the implications counselling that you need to have if you're thinking of making this decision. And I was just writing the questions that I want to ask her. And in that, I wrote about how she talked to me about this grieving process 
and how you need to allow yourself to kind of be in that sadness. And I thought I had, but I obviously still am. And from me to you, sharing this in the way that I have been doing and making a point of trying to talk it through with you, I guess what I want to say is my son is five and I made a decision to not have further treatment because it wasn't right for my husband and I in our financial situation and it wasn't right in terms of the reality of it. I run my own business. I'm the main breadwinner. His mental health hasn't been 100%. And so we made the decision to give our embryos to science. And when I finally posted that letter and I shared that post with you on Instagram, I really felt a weight lifted. I really did. I felt like I'd reached a decision and I was the one driving the decision. When I'd had the counselling with Jackie, she talked about us having a natural cycle rather than a medicated cycle just to see what happened. And if it wasn't meant to be, then it wouldn't work. And we'd know, we tried. But in the back of my mind, there was the what if it does work? And I guess I'd resigned myself to the fact that we are a family of three. I want to focus on my career. And, and I've been dealing with the selfishness of that as well as well as the guilt aligned with Phoenix, not having a sibling. But it's obviously gonna sit with me for quite a long time. At the point of recording this, we're, we're embarking on getting Phoenix a kitten. <laughs> but I suppose what I wanna to say to you is if you are in a bit of turmoil with this decision of what to do with your embryos, don't rush yourself at all because you can't but also if you're going to make the decision to donate them to science what is amazing you know whilst I'm snotting all over the piece of paper is learning what will happen to our embryos if we take part this important research can help understand ultimately why IVF and ICSI fails I mean it's amazing and I do feel like proud that we've made this decision but it's hard because still in this in this paper that I'm reading, there is still language like any embryos remaining unused will be destroyed. Or I've seen somewhere else it says about cells being discarded. And I know that IVF Babble put something recently up on their post about the language. And I think it's something that I might have to talk about tomorrow with them because I think words you don't want to see words like destroyed and discarded whether it's scientific speech or not. I think when it's something that you are attached to, you need to have softer language. And hopefully that's where the patient conversation, you know, comes into its element when we're talking to the clinics. So I'm going to stop recording now because I've got to go and blow my nose. But I suppose I just wanted to capture what was going on because I've just been sat at my desk. And um, this raw emotion has just come out of me and I didn't feel like I wanted to jump on to social media and tell you there this is me how I share in audio with a, a pretty snotty nose I'm okay I know I'm crying but I am okay 
But I just want to let you know that, you know, this is an ongoing process. And so don't, don't go into it lightly. Don't be naive that it won't come back and upset you. And don't feel bad. If you make this decision, allow yourself to do what is right for you you know, with your decision on these embryos. I know that a lot of us sit in limbo, not daring to address this, and it plays on our minds, which is what I did for 18 months. And I wanted to move on, and I do feel like it's helped us move on. I do feel like things have shifted quite a bit as a family in what we're talking about now. Um, I feel like I can really, really focus on what I'm doing with my business and feel like I'm, I've given myself that headspace. So if you're going to make this decision to donate to science, think of what it will enable rather than what it doesn't enable you to do. I can't think of any better way to say that. So this is a real treat for me to get to meet you, Jackie, in person. Jackie Stewart is a counsellor here at Bourne Hall and we work together through the decision that I and my husband made to donate our embryo. So first of all, I just want to say thank you, Jackie, because you were an amazing support for me in what was and still is a very kind of raw thing to talk about, but it was a very significant decision. And I'd like to just start with talking about what implications counselling is, because that's what you gave me. Okay. Can I just say thank you for that, Natalie? Um, that was really... Lovely of you to say that. I really appreciate it. And it's really good to meet you too in person. And how very brave it is to talk about it. Implications counselling is, um, it's actually a very important form of being able to discuss um, with, with, with a counsellor, to sit down and discuss some important decisions with regards to proposed treatment or the complexities of treatment. This might involve uh, considering the use of a donor, surrogacy or fertility preservation or frozen embryo treatment. Um, so anything that may affect your family, uh, existing children or the potential of a child that's gonna be born. So um, just really supporting a person's feelings, um, especially if they're not sure really. Uh, also to say it's in the interest of the welfare of any children that are born and to provide supportive and helpful information to go along with that really. So in terms of the decision of what to do when donating your embryos, that there's there's different options. We chose to donate to science. Can you just talk about the other options that, that people have? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the options would be to just continue to store the embryos, to defer the decision, really. People might not be ready for further treatment, so, you know, if, you, if you've had a child and you just want, you're not ready to have another child yet, you can just pay to store those embryos. Um, obviously, the number of embryos is also relevant. You may have one embryo, you may have a few more than that. And nobody really thinks about frozen embryos to begin with when they're going through treatment. They're just hoping treatment is going to work. So one of the options would be to just pay to store the embryos until you're ready to either have more treatment or to decide what you might want to do with those embryos. Um, and some people will just sign consent forms when it presents itself, um, you know, to, to either donate to science. You know, they, they, they may just uh, uh, or allow them to let them go, really. Um, other decisions um, would include, I guess, you know, talking to somebody about really what to do because you don't know what to do. You could also donate your embryos. Um, that, if that were the case, then then um, you would be screened as a donor. 
um, and um, there are certain requirements for that. So, you know, to see, uh, you would have to be screened and, and, and that would incorporate something completely different and implications of counselling again for you as donors. So those different options are there um, and really important that you kind of explore all of those options if, if you really don't know. We weren't in a position to donate to another couple and it wasn't something that was quite right with how we felt about it and we, we, we wanted to donate to science, we felt. Mm. And I want to just talk about the importance of, if you're in a couple making this decision, how important it is for the pair of you to seek support and counselling. I would always encourage in an ideal world that both of you seek counselling and talk about this um, because it's, it's such an emo it can be such an emotive thing. Um, not for all couples. I mean, um, I would say ideally if somebody got in touch with me to, to, to really suggest to their partner that they both come along to talk about this because people, couples feel differently about this, can do. Um, but ideally, if you can walk through it together, that would be you know, optimal result. But that's not always the case. People cope in different ways, quite clearly, and people might see this even within couples in different ways. So for one person, they might just see it as a bunch of cells. Another person will have attached an awful lot of um, emotion and feeling to the embryo as a potential child. So depending on where you are in that, you know, there, there's clearly going to be um, a disconnect and whose feelings are more important. Ideally, if you can talk about that, but if somebody doesn't want to, they don't want to. When we worked together, you talked to me about the grief aspect of this decision and it wasn't something that I thought about and I think it's something worth talking about for people to think about because there's a preparation involved with yeah. that and for me, there was a nervousness that I was going to then put myself into this place that was, in yes. essence, sad. Yes. Just elaborate a bit on that Yes. Realisation of what is going to happen. Well, I think if, if a person is coming from a place where they would like more children, then there is a, a sort of a sense of feeling a lack of completing the family or the ideal. So if you had a dream to have more than one child, and, and obviously some people are happy with one child, but if you had a dream to have more than one child and to complete your family, and that's changed, or having a family has been delayed because you've needed fertility treatment for all sorts of reasons, then there is a sense of loss. There can be, for some people, a sense of loss. So not being able to fulfill that which you wanted, or a, a dream that you wanted, it's not just the, that you're, you're feeling a sense of sadness around not having another child or more children. It could be more than two. But also a sense of sadness that your child hasn't got a sibling going forward. So um, I'm not in any way, shape or form saying that you would have another child for your child's sake. This would be coming from a place where you were, you were personally grieving for something that you couldn't have. And there is a lot of help and support there for those feelings. And I think when we spoke about that grieving process, um, you know, the grieving process is there, generally speaking, for anyone who's suffering with infertility, but also secondary infertility. It's very important that, that, that you know, that that's highlighted. On the flip side of that, and the, mm. the, the grief was something that I felt prepared, actually, for after that conversation, so I thank you for that. Yes. On the flip side of that, you also then spoke to me about enabling mm and what this decision enabled me to do. And personally, as somebody who runs their own business, it was quite a significant move yeah. in that it was what it was going to enable me with my yeah. work. 
And I haven't thought about that either. No. And I think that's a really important point for people to think about. Yeah. Because you, you often see this as a very sad and almost negative decision. Can you just talk to me a bit more about that? Yeah, I think that the fear can kind of paralyse a person and that grieving process can sort of make people dread coming forward or talking about their feelings. But the flip side of that is is that if you can actually be brave enough to come forward and to, um, to look at your fears, to look at all of the, the decisions, to walk through the different options, you might also sort of walk through, well, what are the implications of um, not just um, not coming back for treatment. What are the implications? What are the consequences walking through that? How does that enable your life? What would what would you be doing that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do? That in itself can lift a person and, and they can be uplifted by thinking, okay, well, these are my options. Let me walk down all of the different options and see what's possible and what isn't. And because I think making that, if, if you sort of feel stunted by or desperately unhappy or very, very sad or overwhelmed by feelings of sadness, that can come. But also when you sort of sit quietly and just think about, but what will my life look like? A, if I do go back for the, for the, for the next child and um, uh, for treatment, uh, potentially another child. And, and what about if I don't, what does that look like for my family and going forward? You know, is it right for us? Is it best for us? Language like lift is powerful. Yes. And I think enabling is powerful. And mm. I think ultimately we want people to feel empowered by yes. this decision. Yes. We also spoke about the option of using the embryos without mm -hmm. a medicated cycle, a natural cycle to see yes. what might happen. Yes. And I hadn't really considered that before. And I don't know if it's something that people know mm. enough about. Just again, yeah. explain a bit more about that. Well, um, I'm not medically qualified, quite frankly, as a counsellor to talk about that. But, but all I would say is, you know, that that is a potential option possibly with some clinics that you could come back for a natural cycle because, let's face it, the, um, the treatment is is difficult, not least the cost of treatment, the, um, the invasiveness of treatment, the implications, how it affects work, life, everything else. And so um, some people might want to do that on a natural cycle. Is, is that possible? How much does that cost? Can you at least explore the options and get information about that? When it comes to people asking for help and how counselling can help, we talked a bit about the different things that we spoke about. I know that there's still such a reluctance for people to ask for help. Hmm. If people are wondering if this is right for them, because it is such a challenging thing hmm. to step forward and ask for help. It is. What would your advice be? Uh, don't see it as a weakness. Counselling is purely supporting somebody's feelings. Um, and, and, and um, you know, um, you can feel very alone and isolated out there with something that actually can be quite overwhelming, this decision. And, um, you know, sort of highlighting it, in, highlighting it in this way and being able to discuss that, walk through all your fears, then walk through all the, all the enabling ideas as well, um, all of the different options, all of the reasons, and then uh, if you can do that as a couple, great. If you can't, and if you can only manage um, a couple of sessions with your partner, or your partner has one session on his own. But it is very brave to step forward, but the risk of not stepping forward is you're just sat with that continually going round and round and round in your head. And I know that's what I was doing. And yeah. I know that in the conversations I have on social media, that's what a lot of people are doing. They're not yeah. moving forward. They're sitting and they're stressing. Yes. And a lot of people refer to it as the limbo yeah. period. And People talk about, you know, behind closed doors, it's a, it's a constant source of stress. Why is it such a difficult decision? I know, but why, why would you say it's such a difficult decision? 
Um, if you are emotionally attached to that embryo as a potential child, um, you know, that can affect a person on a very, very deep psychological level and emotional level. And so that filters out into your life. And because you've not made a decision, you have a constant dilemma of making that decision. And so get help, seek help with that, just some support. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. They're just going to help, hopefully, listen helpfully and uh, give you the information and, and, and allow you to explore that. And from a time point of view, I mean, it took me nearly two years to reach the decision. Mm. You can't rush this, can you? You, you, you no, I mean, there is, uh, that's, I'm so glad you brought that up because everyone's unique, aren't they? There is no um, limit on the time other than if you're having to make a decision before the storage runs out, especially if you did want to donate embryos or do want to donate embryos. Um, um, and also, if you're coming up to the end of a storage period and you feel like you have to make a decision because you don't want to pay the fees and, you know, ring the, the, the clinic um, manager or patient services manager or somebody and just say, listen, can I have an extension? Is there any way, is there something we can do about this? Because that is not a good way to make a decision. You need to be able to move on peacefully without looking back with regret. And so it's really important that you give yourself a chance. I think that's so important to say because I did that. Mm. I told the clinic that that's where I was with the decision making and they did understand. And I think you're so caught up in the paperwork. Yes. You get a letter yes. and the letter yeah. is a formality. Yes. And I think you need to remove that. And I think it's a, it's a conversation that we as patients want to have more with clinics is yes. the, the literal writing that we see on these papers. Yeah. In terms of the language then just um, around this decision and what happens to the embryos, what do you think about the use of words like perish and discard and destroy and how we can better that language? Um, I, I've, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I think that that language is difficult to hear for somebody who um, would like in an ideal world to come back for the embryo but can't. And so the thought of that can be quite distressing to hear those words. And although they are, you know, clinical words and, and not meant in any way to hurt somebody, receiving those words is really difficult. And so there, there must be a different frame of language that can be used. We just need to find it. Yes, I prefer allowed to let go, but I'm not quite sure <laughs> how, that, how that even sounds. It's, I'm not sure what would sound correct, but I think there would be lots of ideas that could be pulled to find out what would, what be, what would be acceptable. Sorry. Yeah. And one final piece of advice for people sitting with this mm. ultimately just ask for help ask for help yeah yeah reach out just be brave make a phone call you know um you know i'm i'm really glad that you're doing this just just because there's lots of help out there that's what that's what counselors are there for implications counseling is there most clinics allow you that for free so it's not that you have to pay for it if you do then you know i, I would be surprised um at least one session anyway so check that with your clinic um yeah, and take your time. Just take your time to make that decision. Yeah. I noticed when we spoke, because we spoke three times, mm -hmm. and at the end, you never said to me, right, when we're going to speak next. There was no time frame on that, and it was each stage was me reaching out for you yes. when I was at yes. that next stage. And that was a learning experience in itself, and I think that's quite an important point to, to stress to people listening, that it, it was totally on my terms. 
the yeah. time frame that we, we worked in, which I, yeah. I thank you for that. Well, that's very good to hear. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's not directive because that decision is empowering when it comes totally from within you. It has to be your decision. So in terms of making the decision, mm. we chose not to have further treatment and ultimately it was a, a finance-related mm. decision. We have our, our son and we had successful treatment and I suppose there was also an element of fear that future treatment might not be successful and I think when people are wondering about this decision mm. they need to be aware that wherever they've come from it's all okay yeah. because we beat ourselves up a lot when we're making this decision if we've chosen to not have further treatment I think yeah and um yeah there's no right or wrong to it really uh even between couples how they feel um, and, and I really want to sort of underline that because it could be that, that one person feels that, um, you know, that they're, they're too old to continue or that, you know, that um, life's moved on and, and they're going to be too old for the child or um, there could be, as you say, financial implications, which is, is, is really important in, in the providing for the family that you already have. It could be that somebody may have medical risks of going through treatment again, and so it's, it's um, recommended that they don't have any more treatment. All are very relevant, aren't they? And what's right for somebody isn't, isn't for somebody else, and who's to say? So I think exploring your own reasons between you um, is, is, is necessary. And having that safe place, talking with someone like yourself, that there mm. isn't the judgment, because I think we are so aware of what other people think, yeah. and especially when you've had one child and there's words like just one child, only one child, yes. there's that narrative that society has yes. that we worry about as well. Yes, you know, touching on that, would you try again naturally if you were in this situation now? So if you take it right now, would you try again naturally if you could? And the answer to that might be no. Um, that can also be uh, helpful as, as just uh, one of the sort of lines of, of exploring the options and enabling you to make the right decision for you and your family because if it's going to hurt one member of your family then it's not it's not okay and um and then as a three you know you 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 can go on to be extremely happy why not you know it's it's just important to fully address this when it comes up in your life so it enables you to move on peacefully Maybe not be in a really busy environment because our first session I was in a very busy place and I was in floods of tears. Yes, yes. <laughs> that wasn't the wisest no, move. No, So try and be somewhere peaceful. Yes. So you're not going to have people walking past yeah. you if you are sobbing. No, is, is just to set it up. Um, past yeah. you if you are sobbing. No, is, is just to set it up um, ethically is really important and professionally. So always make sure you're in a secluded office safe, um, whether it's at work and you, you're not going to be disturbed. Um, or at home, um, and hopefully, um, if Skype fouls, somebody can phone you. You know, the counsellor can phone you straight back, or, or somebody close by you, just to make sure you're okay. Yeah, we had a storm threatening us on one of our sessions. Yeah, but we, so we, we carried on. Yes, we have. <laughs> we have had some technical difficulties, <laughs> um, but we, you know, but we we got to connect, and that's the main thing. We got to talk. And I think yeah. that accessibility is what people don't realise, mm. and that's what we want to highlight: is that there yeah. are ways, there yes. are plenty of ways that this can happen. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you, you know, and uh, and there's and there are lots of counsellors, and um, and if you ch check the Beaker website, just British Infertility Counselling Association, if you're not sure if there's one near you or you're not accessible, you 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 have a waiting list. Check that to see, you know, especially if you prefer to meet in person or what they offer. Mm.
So as part of reaching this decision, it also enabled me to finish my studies to be a freedom fertility specialist, which I have now qualified in. It's all about helping you with your emotional well-being. And I'm about to launch a challenge for five days to launch my coaching in my closed Facebook group. So all you need to do to register is go to thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash five hyphen day hyphen challenge. I know it should be easier, but it'll be in the show notes for this episode. And I really look forward to seeing you there and hope we can work together. Now we're going to hear from Martin Blaney, who's the director of science at Bourne Hall. And I asked Martin to talk about frozen embryos being created, which he explained has changed quite a bit over the years. So a typical IVF process, I'll just sort of summarise it very briefly. We fertilise all the eggs that we have available, typically about 60% of those fertilised. Those embryos are then grown on for five or six days in the laboratory, whereby we select the one or two best quality embryos for transfer, obviously depending on the patient's choice. Any surplus embryos over and above those one or two that are good quality would be frozen. So that would be on day five or day six when they're at the blastocyst stage. So Martin, we're here to talk about the decision to donate embryos to research, which is something that my husband and I have recently done after much deliberation. Mm. Can you explain that process of making the decision to donate your embryos? Yes, certainly. Um, as you, you mentioned, it, it is a big decision and it's not something we wish anybody to, to rush into or to consider lightly. So there was quite a long and robust and lengthy procedure we ask you to go through to make sure that you're fully informed all the way along to make sure that we're complying with our regulatory requirements as well. So it, yes, it's not a fast process. There are consent forms to fill out along the way and lots of information for you to sort of be given and to digest. I don't think we expected the level of information that we got. I don't know what we expected. Can you talk a bit about what you explain in those consent forms? Because there's different stages of the consent, aren't there? Ab- aren't there? Absolutely. So right at the beginning, um, when we're asking you what decision, what you'd like to be doing with your, your frozen embryos, one of the options is to donate those to research. So that is a very simple, I would like to consider donating my embryos to research. And I think as a subscript on that piece of paper, it talks about the fact you'll be given further information as, as you move forward with this process. There's two reasons for that. Um, a, because we are often participating in lots of different projects with the frozen embryos with our collaborators around the country. And B, because we want to make sure that you're given the absolute most up-to-date and correct information uh, that we can about the projects. And I suppose finally, the HVA, our regulating body, require us to give you specific information for your donation um, consent. So once upon a time, we could just accept um, material for research. Nowadays, we have to make sure that 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 research is fully consented with specific information for the project they're going towards. So yes, you will receive your first consent form saying, yes, I'm interested in this. Then a follow-up consent form will, will give you more information about the specific research topic and then a further consent say yes we really really would like to do this so that's that's so again yes a two to three step process so once you've got to that point of signing those forms i really want to kind of demystify what happens with the research to understand how long the embryos are are kept for and what it is that you're finding out so let's start with how long you can keep those embryos for so As regulation stands at the moment, the embryos can still only be kept up to their legally consented period. So that typically is 10 years. That's a statutory storage period. But you may have consented to a a shorter period. So whatever you initially consented to, that will be the storage period that they are allowed to be kept for. So typically it's 10 years in most cases. What I meant by that was once you've started the research 
process on mm -hmm. my embryo, mm -hmm. for example, isn't there a time limit on the number of days it can literally be used in, as part of the research? So once the embryos are actually enrolled into the research programme and thawed for use, we cannot keep a, uh, an embryo in the laboratory for longer than 14 days. That is in the, uh, in the HVA Act. So that is the absolute the longest that that embryo can be kept growing in the laboratory is 14 days. Now, one of the common issues that happens with fertility treatment is implantation mm -hmm. failure. And I know that's a key part of the research that you're doing. Do you want to just explain a bit more about that? Uh, implantation failure, is, we suspect, is probably one of the commonest reasons that IVF, in fact, any infertility treatment, doesn't proceed. Um, and again, current research would suggest that a lot of that comes down to the embryo. So whether the embryo is actually genetically um, correct, for a better way of phrasing it. Um, however, we mustn't forget that there is another very, very important part of this story, and that's the endometrium itself, the womb. So we, we can study the embryos, and we do study the embryos, and people are actually starting now to be able to look at uh, look at the womb by, by growing the cells themselves in a laboratory and putting the two together. But um, as it stands at the moment, most of the research has been done on focus on the embryos because they're an easier resource to look at. So we've done a lot of work with those and we know that chromosomal normality or abnormality is a common cause of the implantation failure. There's probably going to be a lot of signaling molecules and mechanisms going on between the two, the sort of a conversation, if you like, between the embryo and the endometrium. That's really only just starting to be understood. So it's a rather more difficult experiment to do. So for people thinking about making this decision to donate, it's having that thought that they're ultimately helping other couples to have successful treatment. That's the, the outcome that we're, we're hoping with this research. Absolutely. It's, it's an unbelievable gift to donate your embryos to research. And we wouldn't be anything like as successful as we are now if Professor Edwards and, and Steptoe did not have material to work upon. And it's become abundantly obvious, if it, if it wasn't to us already, that, that, you know, we are not mice. There's a lot of work, early work was done on mice, humans and mice, despite their embryos looking actually remarkably similar at the early stages, they are very, very different and they have very, very different mechanisms. So we can go so far in the animal model, but to actually fine-tune some of this research, we absolutely have to use human materials. As I've said already, it's an amazing gift that yourself and um, patients in your situation have decided to do for us. And do you have enough embryos for research? I don't think we would say we ever have enough. It is such a precious resource. It is so difficult to come by. There are researchers, we, we're approached by researchers all around the country and indeed all around the world asking us for material and they are crying, even if we can send them one or two embryos, that one could mean, could mean so much to those researchers and might just be the key that opens another door to part of the, a part of the dialogue that we don't yet understand at all. So there is never enough, never enough. Finally, Martin, one of the things that is the hardest thing when you're going through this is the language that's used around mm -hmm. the decisions that you're made. And sadly, words like destroy, discard, mm -hmm. perish, are the terms that mm. are written in the paperwork. They are. Is there any way that the language could be softened? Does it have to be that harsh, do we think? It's an interesting question. It's obviously it's something we struggle with because we, we have to convey what, what's the reality and we do try and do it in the most sort of uh, most empathetic way that we can think of. Um, and maybe we, we should revisit that and, and think again. It's, it's a fine balance to say we're trying to be realistic and also um, supportive. Because I think reading those words are some of the hardest things to read. Mm. So if there is a dialogue 
and the awareness of the impact that has on the patient. I think that would be really rewarding for people to hear that you know clinics are listening to that type of language that they're having to then read on, on what is in essence a piece of paper. Certainly it's something we will we'll reconsider. Thank you. Thank you. The reason that I approached Vaughan Hall to talk more about this decision to donate our embryos was because having decided that it was something that we need to make the decision on, I spoke about it initially on my podcast quite emotionally and got such a reaction from people both um, in email and on social media and then during the time of me trying to work out what my next steps were, I did share it a bit on my social platforms and every time people's response was, I feel the same, I don't know what to do about it, it's stressing me out. And I just felt that if I could come back to Bourne Hall, the clinic that I had successful treatment at, ask for help, I was told I could have access to implications counselling. And if I could come back and then try and talk more about this decision with a counsellor, with a scientist, to ultimately help people understand more, then it would be in line with my mission to help people understand more about what their options are. So, hence me being here today. So in terms of us making a decision to donate our embryos to science, first of all, I was 36 at the time of having treatment, so donating to another couple wasn't an option. And actually, when we both talked about it, it wasn't something we felt comfortable with. We couldn't get our head around that. And this whole process of the wonders of science enabling you to have a family is one thing, but that just was think a step too far and I think it's amazing that people do do that. We looked into that option of donating to science and going through the process and having the paperwork that was sent out which you um, you are given information as to what is going to happen and it's it's quite overwhelming and there's, there's this process of consent and then further consent and, and properly outlining what happens and and we held on to that paper for quite a long time even once we'd said this was going to be the decision that we made, we, we still didn't post the letters um, and we kept coming back to it. And during that time, we were having the implications counselling. But when we ultimately then did post and I'd had the conversation with Bourne about making this piece of content and then coming here and talking about what that research actually means and how precious these embryos really are in terms of what the the, the scientists are, are able to do and find out has actually really reassured me that we've made the right decision because I was nervous in all honesty coming and talking about this again because it is still raw emotion and even yesterday kind of preparing myself for coming I got emotional and I think it's fair to say that these kind of decisions stay with you. And I, I talk about it as being one of the hardest decisions I've made in my life to, to make this decision, which is why I can only stress the importance of having the support from the counselling. But coming and talking and understanding what happens and hearing language like these embryos being so precious and the gift of giving your embryos to research makes me feel proud. And I hope that when I go and tell my husband about it, that he will also feel proud and then thinking about what we're enabling just helps. And, and I definitely feel a lift in terms of, it was a weight around our shoulders and, and the whole process that we went through has definitely helped us move on. So in terms of making this decision, I mean, it's been about an 18 month period. It's not something that 
you can rush. And with that came me initially addressing that decision. I made a, a, a point of not continuing to pay the storage. I told Bourne Hall that this was the decision that was going to be happening, but then that was delayed in, in the then seeking out more support. But ultimately, once we reached the decision, I felt that I wanted to acknowledge it. And in the work that I've done with the Fertility Podcast, I've talked to people who have talked about marking um, baby loss and, and miscarriage. And it, I suppose that's where the idea came from, of people acknowledging. And, and when I first sought out help um, about this decision, my family's Jewish and I actually went to a Jewish charity and I wanted to know whether there was any prayer that could be said. And I'm not hugely religious, but it just felt like I wanted to acknowledge the decision in some way. Um, and there, there isn't a specific prayer for this decision, but I wanted to mark it. So what we actually did was we, we went to the beach. I hadn't told my husband actually what I was planning, but I took three white roses because um, we had three embryos and um, we threw them out to uh, the sea. And of course they came back because of the, the tide and um, they kind of lodged in the sand and we, we took some pictures and um, as we walked away, the pair of us turned back to look at them and I'd noticed that a lady and her family had stopped and she was taking pictures, probably for Instagram. And I kind of shared this story on, on my social media because what it seemed like was that she was kind of getting something out of this, this moment and you know, the deeper meaning of what we were hopefully going to be passing on with the, the legacy of passing on our embryos it was, it was really significant without me even meaning for that. And then I went on to, to, to share it. And I think that ultimately just bringing this conversation to, to light and realizing that there's a lot more that needs to be spoken about in terms of making the decision that so many people that have to go through fertility treatment have in terms of their frozen embryos, making it acceptable to talk about it. Because I think if you've decided to stop treatment, rather than having to stop treatment are, are different things in themselves. So I think just highlighting that whatever has led you to this decision, it's totally acceptable, there's no judgment and it's okay to talk about it is, is, is part of my motivation, but also to, to make people realize that it's not something that can be rushed, that it's something that needs support and hopefully will encourage people to ask for help in, in reaching the decision. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it was useful. If it's where you're at the moment, I really hope it's kind of food for thought. You may remember at the start, I mentioned that we were going to be getting a kitten. Well, I'm delighted to tell you that Lola will be joining our family next weekend. So check out my feed if you want to see some cute pictures of our upcoming fur baby arrival. If this chat has affected you in any way, please do reach out. You can contact me at Fertility Body on Twitter or Instagram. It'd be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast. Just do that in your podcast app because that also makes all the difference, especially with a topic as personal as this. And this is the reason that I've become this freedom fertility specialist, working with you to support you and your emotional well-being because I feel like I've overcome something pretty big myself. Hence me doing this work qualifying and having this exciting challenge coming up all the details are in the show notes plus i've got the most amazing prize that i'm calling a fertility checkup kit available for anybody who takes part in the challenge to be in with a chance of winning so i hope to see you there kate will be back with me next week. we've got a brilliant episode lined up for you so until the next time 